We'll get there in just a few minutes, and you're going to get there, and you're going to say, this isn't the Easter story, and you're exactly right. But I believe that every single one of us here this morning, we understand what the Easter story is about. It's about Jesus going to a cross and dying for our sins. It's about him being placed in a tomb, and on the third day, he was no longer there. He was risen. Uh, later, after the fact, uh, he appeared to over 500 different people that gave an account that Jesus was risen. So I'm not going to stand up here today and try to convince any of you of that or that it happened. Uh, I believe that for the most part, most of us probably would believe that. Uh, and before we jump into God's Word, let me just say uh, that if your kids get a little restless this morning, I know this service is maybe a little bit longer than, than what you're accustomed to. We have two nurseries out in our Family Life Center. We have a nursery for infants. We have a nursery for toddlers. And we also have one just for older kids that if they get restless and want to go out, uh, our children's director and some other volunteers are out there in the Family Life Center. They have some activities uh, for them. If they want to go out there and participate in that, if they want to stay, uh, it's just fine. But if you feel like that your child is becoming a distraction, don't, don't freak out or panic. There's somewhere where you can go. Uh, there's also monitors out there in the lobby area where you can watch and, and listen to the message uh, as well. And I just want to uh, state the obvious here this morning and, and tell you that I understand that some of you that are here today don't want to be here. I, I, I get that. But your family uh, or, or maybe some friend of yours goes, for heaven's sakes, it's Easter of all Sundays. You should be in church today. And so I understand that some of you were brought here probably uh, out of protest maybe and you don't want to uh, really be here and you're against your will. It reminds me of a conversation that I heard uh, about a, a man and a woman that took place and the, the wife, she was getting ready for church and, and when she got ready, she, she thought that her husband was getting ready too and she came out. And he's still sitting there in his pajamas. And she's like, why aren't you ready for church? It's, it's time for us to go. We need to, we need to go right now. We're going to be late. And he said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to church. He said, I don't even like church. He said, and I'll give you three reasons why. He said, nobody there in that church is friendly to me. He said, number two, everyone there is suspicious of me. And they're always judging me. And he said, number three, I just don't like it. And I don't want to go. And the wife goes, she says, now that's not true. People at that church are friendly to you. You're just being a jerk. And number two, she said, all those suspicions that you have, they're just in your head. And number three, you're the pastor and you've got to go. <laughs> Welcome to the conversation that we had at my house this morning, all right? So for whatever reason, you're here and I'm here, so let's just make the, the best out of it today. Uh, over the past several weeks, if you're visiting with us, we've been going through a series that we've called God's Love Letter. Um, we've been uh, talking about uh, uh, God's love for us, and I can't think of a better way to wrap that up this morning uh, than to end it on this weekend that puts an exclamation point just on how much God uh, loves us. And, and we've seen over the past few weeks, what we've been looking at is we've been talking about what it is that we've been saved from. We've been studying the book of Ephesians. And we found in there, as Paul writes, he explains to us in great detail what it is that we've been saved from. And then he goes on to speak to us about what it is that we've been saved for. 
because we were saved for a reason. Uh, and, and then we began to see over the past couple of weeks what this journey with Jesus looks like. And Paul explains it to us and says, here are the characteristics. Here's what uh, a journey with Jesus and being a follower of Christ uh, uh, looks like. And so today we're going to close out God's love letter. But what I want to do is I also want to take this and uh, this message and, and use it as a springboard this morning into another series that we're going to start next week. And we, we invite you to, to come back. I understand that some of you, uh, you just come on Easter and, and we'll see you again Christmas. But, but uh, uh, it's, it's important that you know we do this every week. We have this service every week. The band is this awesome every week. And so we invite you to come back. But we're starting a new series next Sunday that, that, that's called He Said What?, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to look at some of the most challenging things that Jesus said when he was here on this earth, some of the most divisive things that Jesus said. A lot of people think when they think about Jesus, they, they think of someone that's really, really calm and really peaceful and, you know, didn't, didn't rock the boat and didn't cause too much trouble. But, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus was all but that, right? I've said many times, I think Jesus would have fit perfectly in in Greenbrier, Arkansas. He was about half redneck. And, and you know, a lot of times he was rocking the boat. A lot of times he was saying things that he, that people thought that he shouldn't say. And, and so we're going to be looking at some of the sayings over the next few weeks. And I believe as we explore these things that may be a little challenging, may be a little difficult, uh, I believe it'll help Help us all uh, better understand our faith, answer any questions that we may have about that. And not only that, I believe it will help you to understand what Easter is all about a little better and the resurrection and what it means to you. Now, the first statement that we're going to look at today is one uh, that I felt led to share it with you. I, I shared it in last night's service that uh, I had uh, this awesome sermon prepared on uh, Doubting Thomas. And uh, as the week began this week, I, I began to kind of lose my focus on that. Maybe, I, maybe it was there so long that it just, you know, sat on the stove so long that it boiled dry. I don't know. Uh, but I, I really felt led to go to this story we're going to look at this morning. Uh, one of these statements that Jesus made that's a little bit hard to understand, would have been hard for the people around him to understand. And it's something that Jesus said at the death uh, of a little 12-year-old girl. And her mom and her dad uh, were there. They were beside themselves with grief. Can you just imagine what it would be like to lose uh, a 12-year-old child? And Jesus walks into the room where they are. Here in Mark chapter 5 and verse 39, he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion? Why, why all this wailing? This child is not dead. But asleep, and some other people in the room, they laughed at him. And, and, and you know, we looked at that, and you think, you know, maybe, uh, maybe to you that doesn't seem like a very big deal to you. But I want you to imagine, I want you to put yourself in these parents' shoes, if you will, this morning. Okay? And imagine that your little girl has just died, and she's laying there in her bed. And she's deceased. And I cannot imagine the heartbreak that I would have had if one of my children at a young age was tragically killed in a car wreck or they got sick and, and they died. And someone would walk into the room right after uh, they had uh, died and, and you were grieving and people in the room were asking why and questioning and all these things. And there, you know, people were crying and carrying on. And someone walks into the room and says, ah, that's not a big deal. You know, she's not dead. She's just asleep. You know, and, and, and that, you know, if someone were to walk in in a situation like that and say something like what Jesus said, well, we would think that would be cold-hearted, would it not? 
If someone walked into a, a funeral and they walked up to the casket and they were like, ah, it's not a big deal. It would be a big deal if it was our child, right? But yet that's what Jesus has said here. And another thing we're going to see in this story is that these parents, not only did Jesus come in and say something that would have been really cruel and cold-hearted and insulting to them, but they, they're, they're kind of blaming Jesus for this happening. They, they kind of think that this is Jesus' fault uh, anyway. And, or, you know, her parents, Jesus was actually on his way to heal this little girl, and she died before he got there. Okay, and so the parents are probably thinking, you know, what took you so long? Why did you delay when you knew that our little girl was dying and she was in the final minutes of her life? You know, what took you so long? Jesus, if, if you really cared, if you really loved us, why would you let something like this happen to our child? Have any of you here this morning, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I believe that some of us here today have probably at some time in our lives, we felt that way. Hey, if you're really up there, if you really love us the way you claim that you love us, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you do something? You could have done something. Why didn't you do it? And maybe it concerned the death of someone that you loved and you loved dearly. And I'll be honest, I'm a pastor and I've had these thoughts before. Uh, uh, you know, I know I'm the preacher and I'm not supposed to admit stuff like that. But, but if I'm honest, sometimes we look around at things that are going on around us and things that are going on in our world and go, you know, Jesus, if you love us so much, why is this world in such a mess? Why, why are all these bad things continuing to happen? Why does it seem like things are, are continuing to get worse? And, and this story I believe that we're going to look at today is probably one of the most bizarre uh, encounters in Jesus' life that we have recorded in Scripture. So let's go back to the beginning of the story. And, and let's walk through it today. I kind of brought you in at the end of it. Let's get back up to verse number 22 here of chapter 5. It says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. I remember, this is the parent of the daughter, right? Desperate. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, My little daughter is dying. Please come and, and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and, and live. And I can only imagine the urgency that he spoke this in, right? I mean, the text probably doesn't do it justice, but I'm sure he was passionate about, you know, the, the fact that his daughter was about to die. He was one of the religious leaders here, it tells us, which probably means that he was probably a pretty popular person in the community. He probably was one of the more wealthy people. Uh, because he was a leader uh, in the community and, and he probably had brought in the best doctors that money could buy and they had come in and basically told him there's no hope. There's no, no hope for your daughter. She's going to die and she very well may die before the day ends. And so in desperation, he thinks, Jesus I've heard about this guy named Jesus. I've heard that there's a guy named Jesus uh, that's going from town to town that's healing the sick and, and, and delivering demons from people. And, and, and so in desperation, he thinks maybe Jesus could help. And, and don't miss this. Jairus was a religious leader, okay? Now remember what the religious leaders were doing back at this time, at this exact time. They weren't too excited about Jesus, were they? Matter of fact, uh, the, Jesus had made them very uncomfortable by some things that he was saying and by some of these things that he was doing. And the religious leaders were uh, being very skeptical. And Jesus was saying some things about the religious leaders that was very uh, uh, abuse, abrasive to them, right? And, and so, but anyway, this leader, I mean, he, he's desperate. 
right? And he thinks, what if, what if all of this that I heard about Jesus is really true? What, what if it's really happened? What if, what if this man can heal the sick? Maybe, just maybe, he could heal my daughter. If I could get him to my daughter, maybe he could heal her. And so he runs around town and he's asking everybody, where's this Jesus? Where's Jesus at? And he finally finds him and he approaches Jesus and he probably says something like this. Jesus, Jesus, please, I beg of you. Can, can you just see the, the pain and, and the passion on his face as he knows his little girl is back home just hanging on by a thread and he's begging Jesus and he says, Jesus, I know I haven't been your biggest supporter and I know I've said things about you that weren't right and I, and I know that I've not been perfect, but Jesus, if you can just come, if you could just do, come and do anything, would you come please? And verse 24 says, so Jesus went with him. Now, can you imagine the hope now that maybe is beginning to well in his spirit. He, he's, he's talked Jesus into it. He's convinced him uh, that his daughter needs his help. And Jesus says, yes, Jairus, I, I, I can do something and, and I'll go with you to your home and I'll see your little girl. And the story goes on in verse number 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there in that crowd who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now, what this means is, is that she had a disease that, that caused her to have these uh, menstrual irregularities. And in those days, the Jewish uh, law considered a woman uh, in that state to be unclean. And she would have been basically labeled as an unclean person, meaning this, she couldn't enter into the temple. She couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't go into worship. And not only that, no one could even touch her. She, if you were considered to be unclean in that time, you weren't allowed to touch anyone and no one was allowed to touch you. So think about it. This woman had not been touched or even hugged for 12 years because of her disease. She was unclean. Verse 26 goes on to say she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and she had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she just grew worse. When she also heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. Verse 30 says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? <laughs> you know, I kind of picture Jesus here like me. I don't know if he's a germaphobe. He probably wasn't because if he got a germ, he could just fix it. But, you know, he's like, who touched me? You know, that's how I would be. Who touched me? And Jesus acknowledged and, and knew that someone touched him. And the disciples are like, are you kidding me? You see the cr people crowding against you? And yet you can ask, who touched me? Everybody's touching us, right? They're, they're all around us. But Jesus kept looking around to see who it was that had touched him. Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. All right, think about it. Why is she trembling with fear? Because she was unclean. She was not supposed to touch anyone. And anyone that she would come in contact with would be unclean. And she had touched Jesus of all people and made him unclean. And, and so she comes to him trembling and she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, listen, he said, daughter. And this is the only time that this word is used here in the New Testament. And it's a word meaning precious child. 
And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and, and be freed from your suffering. Isn't that an awesome story? I mean, man, what incredible uh, miracle that Jesus has just performed here. Here's a woman who for 12 years hadn't been able to go into the temple and worship or, or be able to even be touched by anybody. And she thinks, if, if I could just touch a piece of Jesus' clothes, maybe, just maybe, he could heal me. And so she fights her way, you know, through this crowd. She gets as close as she can through all this crowd of people that's pressed in around Jesus. And she stretches out her hand as far as she can possibly stretch. And she just brushes the hem uh, of his garment. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Who touched me? And she tries to hide, you know, and, and, and Jesus just won't let it go. So she comes forward, you know, trembling because she thinks she's about to be rebuked or punished because she's done exactly what she's not supposed to do. She's an unclean woman who had the audacity to touch Jesus Christ. But instead of rebuking her, what did Jesus do? He calls her daughter. He calls her daughter, which is basically saying to her, not only have I healed you from your disease, but I've included you into my family. <laughs> Not only have I healed you, but now you're mine. You're part of my family as, as my daughter, which, you know, which is an incredible story here. But Jairus, <laughs> Jairus is like, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Come on, let's go. Can't you, can't you hurry up? My daughter is just hanging on for dear life. Every second counts. Verse 35 says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter is dead. Can you imagine Jairus' heart? Some of you have been there. Some of you have heard those words. Some of you have held the hand while life passed from the body, and you know it feels like someone is literally ripping your heart out of your chest. And they come and tell Jairus that his daughter is, is dead. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Jairus? His daughter was minutes away from death. And here you have this woman who had a non-life-threatening illness that she had had for 12 years. And if she had survived it 12 years, surely she could have survived another hour or so, don't you think? But Jesus stops, and he helps this woman. And while he's helping her, Jairus' daughter dies. How do you think Jairus felt? How would you have felt in that situation? I mean, you know, Jairus is going, you knew that my little daughter was dying, and you delayed you delayed for this woman who really didn't have a major problem or issue at all? If you were Jairus, wouldn't you be confused? Maybe be angry? I would. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw this commotion with people crying, wailing loudly, mourning. Verse 39, Jesus went in and said to them, why all this commotion? 
Why all this wailing? Why all this crying? This child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, laugh at Jesus, see what happens. He put you out, huh? After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. This is beautiful. Verse 41, he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha Koam, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, the original language here gives us this picture of Jesus speaking to her like he's gently trying to wake her from a nap. (laughs) So, in other words, Jesus didn't go into her room and shout, Child, I command ye, come forth. For those of you that were asleep, you're welcome. That was a little embarrassing how you jumped. For those of you that already started snoring. But hey, hey, Jesus didn't go into the room shouting commands, right? Instead, he probably sat by the, on the side of her bed like her mother often would to turn her in at night. And he took her hand and he probably stroked her face gently and he whispered to her, honey, it's time to get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around because she was 12 years old. So awesome story, right? I mean, awesome story, but what does all this have to do with Easter? Well, I believe that there are three connections that we can make to this story today at Easter time. When you think about miracle number one, the woman who was unclean and needed a cleansing, Jesus became unclean so that she could have that and experience that. And number two, death, right? And the resurrection. And let me tell you something. Death is an easy fix for Jesus. (laughs) For Jesus, death is as easy as just waking somebody up from a nap. And and let me ask you, what, what is one thing that scares you the most? What is it that that scares us all, that we have uncertainties about, we're a little unsettled about? I would say for the most part, for the majority of us, it's death, right? It's probably death about, you know, how am I going to die or or when am I going to die? Or or maybe it's the fear of someone that we love dearly dying and, and leaving us behind alone. But, but can you see in this story that we're looking at today, this beautiful picture that Jesus is, is giving us of what death, death is? Do you notice the, the tender and loving details that we have here in this story? Do you, you want to know what it's like to be a follower of Jesus and to die? Picture this. Jesus is sitting on your bedside. Right? He's sitting by your dying bedside like your mother would. He takes you by the hand. And when you wake up from your nap, you're in heaven. His face is the first face you'll see. His voice is the first voice that you're going to hear, and you're going to be healed, you're going to be refreshed, and you're going to be more alive than you have ever been in your life. Now, there are basically two predominant uh, popular or, or, you know, I don't even know what word I'm trying to say. There are two views, basically, in our world today about death and what it's like in our culture today. The first is this, many non-believers, right? A lot of people that, that don't believe in Jesus and don't believe in the Christian faith, they believe that when you die, it's just over, 
right? When you die, that's the end and you're done. That you're just some biological accident that took place and, and when you die, you have expired, right? All your labor, all you've done, all you've accomplished comes to an end and it means absolutely nothing, right? Now, most of us here today, uh, you acknowledged this, I believe, earlier by your applause and your amens. Most of us, I believe, would say just the exact opposite of that is true. Most of us would believe that uh, God made us to be eternal beings, right? That he created us for an eternity and that somehow death cannot be the final word. I mean, think about it. If you're here today and even if you're not a believer, uh, do, do, you know, your, your head may try to tell you that death is final, but your heart is going to tell you something else. There's no way that this can be all there is to it, right? And, and, and so, you know, it can't be the final word. And so it can be a little scary to think about because none of us know exactly when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen or exactly what's going to take place. And so it makes us all a little uneasy, a little uncomfortable. C.S. Lewis asked this question. He says, does the fact that we yearn for eternity point to the fact that we were created for eternity, right? Uh, he goes on to say, fish don't complain about being wet. Why? Because they were designed for water. They complain when they're out of the water and flopping around on the deck of my boat. That's when they complain. That's how a fish complains, by flopping. So doesn't the fact that we yearn for eternity show us that we were designed for eternity? He went on to say, if I find, if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world has ever been able to satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was created for something else. So I would encourage you this morning, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart because your heart is telling you the truth. And death is an easy fix for Jesus Christ. It's easy for him. Number two, Jesus' delay is often proof of his love. His delays are often proof of his love. We often think that when Jesus isn't doing what we think he ought to do, or when Jesus isn't doing what we think he ought to do, when he ought to do it, right, that Jesus loves us less, you know, and, and we're not worthy. And so Jesus didn't do that for us. Think about it. Jairus couldn't fathom why Jesus was delayed. Why would Jesus do that? Of all things. This little girl was about to die, and Jairus is thinking, if he loved me, if Jesus really cared about me, he would have gotten there in time to save my little girl. But Jesus <laughs> had a better plan. Huh? Jesus had a better plan than Jairus had. A bigger miracle. Something that Jairus had never even thought of. That Jairus could never have even dreamed or imagined. Jesus knew that the delay really wasn't going to make a difference at all because it didn't matter or not if she was dead. <laughs> because it's easy for him to fix dead, right? It didn't matter. Death's an easy fix, just like waking her up from a short nap. So Jesus knew. And so this little girl's death, think about it, was of no lasting significance at all. It was just a temporary delay, wasn't it? Don't miss this. The point of this story is not that if you pray loud enough, or if you beg God long enough that Jesus is going to save you from death on this earth. Even this little girl died again. She's not still around. She was. I would have had her here this morning. It been a great, a great illustration. But you know, she eventually did die. And so will you. We all will. The point of this is, not, you know, to, to give you a picture of what we are going to experience in our resurrection. Huh? 
Huh? It's all about Jesus' resurrection, but I believe what Jesus wants us to understand today is our resurrection. And in the resurrection, the joy of what Jesus gives to us, the joy of what he restores, will make up for any pain that we have gone through in this world. It'll make up for any uh, bad experience that we may have had in this world or any delay that we felt like God might have, ha have put us in. And, and you know, often it, 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 at that time, it would just seem like a temporary inconvenience. I can't say what I'm, I'm wanting to talk about. So let me tell you about how Paul said it because I believe he said it perfectly. He, you know, he says your pain may feel permanent uh, uh, now, but it's just like a short nap. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what we can see, right? What was Jairus seeing? He was needing a miracle of healing, right? So no, 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 no. Paul says don't fix your eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Our problems, our afflictions in life, our pain, no matter how bad they may be, are only light and momentary. And by the way, when Paul talks about pain here, he's not talking about your little headache that you whine about. He's not, he's not talking about a little backache that some of us have. See, Paul had experienced some brutal things in his life. Paul had experienced the, the deaths of friends and family members that had been killed and persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He had been abandoned by so-called friends and family members. He had been betrayed. He had been put in shackles. He had been put in prison. And he says, you know what? All of that compared to the joy of eternity in heaven <laughs> and how long that's going to last, which is forever, it's never going to end. He says, all of that that I've been through, all of that that you've been through, all the pain that you're experiencing, he says, you know what? It's only light. It's only momentary. And, and some of you here this morning are going, well, you know what, Steve, it doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel like it's momentary. The person that I love most is suffering. The person that I love most is gone. And right now, I'm in the darkest chapter of my life. Paul would go on to compare it to a woman who was in labor, who was uh, about to give birth to a child. And, and, and he said, and the moment that you step foot into eternity, I want you to think about it. The moment you see his face, the moment you hear his voice, right? And see the beauty of what God has gone to create for us there in heaven. You know what? All the pain of this life, you won't even remember it anymore. It'll be gone. It'll be light and momentary. And you know what? Any trouble, any pain, anything that you've been through on this earth, when you get to the other side and you step through the gates of heaven, you will say it was worth it all. <laughs> it was worth it all. All the pain of this life, you won't remember. And don't get me wrong today. I'm not trying to minimize Anyone that's here today, I'm not trying to minimize your pain. I'm not trying to do that. But what I am trying to do is I'm trying to maximize Jesus' victory over death. Amen. 
All right? And, and so this story shows us that Jesus is the master of life and he's the master of death. He is fully in charge. He is God and you are not, right? He's in charge of all. And, and don't you ever doubt that, that he's fully in charge. His delay doesn't mean that he loves you less. His delay is often proof of how much he does love you. And, and don't miss this. Jairus got so much more than he ever dreamed of getting. Right? He came to Jesus in need of a miracle of healing. Instead, what he got was the miracle of the resurrection. Right? I'd call that a miracle upgrade, wouldn't you? That's what he got. Listen, Jesus had a plan for Jairus, and Jesus has a plan for you. All right? And then in, and then in closing, and you know what that means when I say in closing? Nothing. <laughs> uh. The third thing that we can take away from this today is this. Our victory over death came at a great personal cost to Jesus. There in verse 30 of, of our story, when the, remember when the unclean woman touched the hem of Jesus' coat? Scripture says that power went out from him. And this is eye-catching because scholars say that this means that Jesus became weak. And it's the only time in Scripture that we find a place where it says Jesus was weak. And Jesus became weak. And think about it. Jesus had performed all kinds of awesome miracles up to this point. They stand out as much greater miracles than healing a woman with a bleeding disorder. Think about it. He had cast out legions of demons. He basically had stopped a hurricane by just speaking to it. And he never even broke a sweat when he did that, right? So why is it that this miracle takes power from him? Well, I think this is how it relates so well to the, to the Easter story. Think about it. Because our cleansing, like this woman's, and our resurrection like this little girl's, could only come through him. It could only come at a great personal cost to him. This unclean woman, like us in our sin, right? This unclean woman, for her to touch Jesus would have made him unclean. And in order to cleanse us of our disease, the disease that we have of sin, he'd have to become unclean for us. He would have to become dirty for us. God made him who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He was the only perfect person to ever walk on this earth. That shatters some of your egos right now, I know. But, but Jesus was the only one to live without sin. God made him that way. He lived that way. And he did it to become, don't miss this, to become sin for us. Uh, in order to raise us up from our death to eternal life, Jesus had to be struck down. He had to be struck down in weakness. So here's the, the gospel in a nutshell. And, and by the way, that word gospel, when you hear someone say the word gospel in church, it basically means this, good news, okay? That's what gospel means is, is good news. Uh, and so here's the good news this morning in a nutshell. The gospel is substitution, okay? It, it's substitution. It's Jesus in my place, the gospel is this for you this morning. Jesus took your place. <laughs> he had to go into death like our little girl here in the story so that we could live, 
so that we could be raised to life and have uh, eternal life. I, I told you earlier that, that I've had my own faith struggles at, at time, and it's true. But I'm going to tell you this morning, I believe this. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. And I believe that He came from heaven. I believe that He healed the sick. I believe that He raised the dead. And Jesus also did two other things that I couldn't do. He died a death for my sin that I was condemned to. It, it was my death. He, he died because of my sin. And the second thing that he did was he overcame the thing that scares me the most, and that's my grave. <laughs> he went into it, and he walked out of it, <laughs> and he said... It's over. It's finished. Death has been conquered. Death was an easy fix for Jesus. It was not a big deal. Death has been conquered. And he did that for me. And he did that for you. And I want you to think about it. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the only one that could have done those two things. We couldn't do it for ourselves. No one else could do it for us. Jesus was the only one who could fix what we needed fixed in our lives. Why do I claim that Jesus is the only Savior of this world? Because he is the only one who was sinless. <laughs> he was the only one that overcame sin. And he was the only one that overcame death. And sin and death were problems that I couldn't do anything about. But he could. And he did. He saved me from the things that I needed to be saved from. He saved some of you from the things that you needed to be saved from. Think about it. Buddha and Muhammad. They can't do that. They weren't perfect. They're sinners. Right? They're dead. They're still dead. Jesus is the only one who could do what I can't do for myself, what you can't do for yourself. He's the only one that can do that for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes? And For those that know me, they know that I just say what I think. I mean what I say. I don't beat around the bush. Time's too short and I'm not going to waste it. But today you've heard the gospel. You've heard the good news here this morning. Jesus is the only Savior for the one problem that affects you, and that's death. So I just want to ask you this morning, being blunt, in light of your upcoming death, have you received him personally as your Savior? Could I somehow today persuade you to understand this, that your life depends on it? And the thing of it is, Jesus took your place. He paid a price that you could have never paid, and he offers you today life forever, for an eternity. That will never end. Call me crazy, but that sounds like a really great offer. But there's more. It gets even better. All of this that I've shared with you this morning, it's absolutely free. And all you have to do is receive it 
accept it? So my question to you this morning is this, have you accepted Jesus as your savior from your sin and your upcoming death? If not, would you like to do that today? And if you would, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer that I'm about to pray with you. And you don't have to pray it out loud. I just encourage you to repeat it after me. Say it to God in your own way. You got to say it to him, not to me. He's the one that did the saving and does the saving. Just pray this prayer to him this morning. Say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. I know that I've not been very lovable. But yet you love me anyway. Thank you for sending Jesus to this world. I believe today that he died on that cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again. Forgive me of my sins. And give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against right now. God, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that was your prayer today, if that's your commitment, and you just prayed that prayer and received him as Savior of your sin and Savior of your death, would you just lift your hand high right now and hold it up for just a moment? I just want to pray for you. I see that hand. I see those hands. Anyone else? Hold it up and lift it high. I just want to pray with you before you go this morning. God, we're so grateful today for your awesome love for us. Wow, what an awesome reminder. We want to thank you for the way that you forgive us and the way that you move and, and work in our lives. And, and I just want to thank you for each person today and those last night that reached out to you. I just pray that, that right now that you would take them by the hand that they lifted and that you would fill their heart, fill their life with your love and your hope and, and your purpose because you created every one of us with a purpose. We were created on purpose with a purpose. And I pray that there would be some people that would walk out of here today that would sense that purpose in their lives and, and what it is. God, I pray that you would do a work in their heart, do a work in their life, and, and that we will know as we walk out of here today that we have experienced the power of the resurrection because you overcame death. You overcame our death <laughs> so that we could have life and have it eternal. And God, I pray today as we go out from here that we'll live our lives with this hope. We will live our lives with this purpose because of Jesus and because of the hope that we have in the resurrection. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. I love you guys so much, and I hope you have an absolutely wonderful...